Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. Are you depressed? Do you feel like there's no hope left for our nation or for the world in general? Are you beginning to be afraid of what might come next? If these emotions sound like yours and they're growing in your life on a daily basis, then you definitely need to stop everything, pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab your Bible, and sit down and study with me because we're going to start a study on the great hope of the church. That's right. There is hope, and we're going to talk about it coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles, and I am the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. And I want to welcome you to our study, Todd Talks Bible. Today, we are going to start our study on the book of Revelation. It's a study that I like to call Dreams or Nightmares, a study of the end of the age. And I hope you'll enjoy the next few weeks as we dig down deep in the book of Revelation. I think you'll find it to be something that encourages you and excites you and strengthens you for these dark days. Well, let's jump right in, shall we? Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, verse chapter 21, verses 5 through 36. Now, I know what you're talking about. You're saying, why are we going to Luke if you're going to start a Bible study on Revelation? This is false advertisement. No, you got to understand, if we're going to study the book of Revelation, we're going to look at a lot of different passages. Luke. Matthew, Daniel, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at a lot of passages, and we need to do that to get a good grasp on everything that's going on in the book of Revelation. And today, I want to start with a short summary of the end times, something that Jesus told the apostles about in Luke 21 and also in Matthew 24 and 25. So let's get started. Luke 21 starting in verse 5. Some of his disciples began talking about the beautiful stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, The time is coming when all these things will be so completely demolished that not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, When will all this take place? And will there be any sign ahead of time? He replied, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming to be the Messiah and saying, the time has come, but don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must come, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, nations and kingdoms will proclaim war against each other. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and epidemics in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs in the heavens. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you will be accused before kings and governors of being my followers. This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. 
So don't worry about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you, and some of you will be killed, and everyone will hate you because of your allegiance to me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, excuse me, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Let those in Jerusalem escape, and those outside the city should not enter it for shelter. For those will be days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for mothers nursing their babies. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. They will be brutally killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be conquered and trampled down, and trampled down by the Gentiles until the age of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange events in the sky, signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And down here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. The courage of many people will falter because of the fearful fate they see coming upon the earth, because the stability of the very heavens will be broken up. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up, for your salvation is near. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. Just so when you see the events I've described taking place, you can be sure that the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these events have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will remain forever. Watch out. Don't let me find you living in careless ease and drunkenness and filled with the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware as in a trap. For that day will come upon every living, everyone living on the earth. Keep a constant watch and pray that if possible, you may escape these horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Now, this is one of the great prophetic discourses that Jesus gave his apostles right before he was crucified. And you can find a complimentary uh exposition of this in the book of Matthew, verses uh, chapter 24 and 25, and also Mark chapter 13. But we are going to look at Luke today because I love some passages that Luke brings out and some verses there near the end that I think are very encouraging. Now, when we look at this passage, you're immediately going to say, man, it's going to take us forever just to get through this passage. I want to hurry up and get in the book of Revelation. Well, let me, let me explain something. We're not going to explain explain everything in this passage. We're going to look at three things, okay? Three things, and let's get started. The first thing I want to look at is the details, the details that Jesus is giving them. Now, we're not going to go over every prophetic detail and explain it because we'll cover these again when we get in the book of Revelation. What I want you to note in verse 7 is that they kind of make a difference between two types of prophecies. Verse 7 says, teacher, they asked, when will all this take place, and will there be any sign ahead of time? So we see two types of prophecy here that 
Jesus and the apostles were talking about. The first one is what I like to call general prophecy, which is a little vague. And these things can be interpreted in multiple different ways. There's not a real clear definition of when these prophecies are being fulfilled. But then there's the second one, the sign, what I like to call prophetic signs. And that's the second type of prophecy. Now, the difference is a prophetic sign is exactly that. It is a sign that when you see it happen, you will know that it is a sign and is used by God to prepare you for what comes next. Let me give you an example of some prophetic signs. Back when Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem, you'll remember the story that some wise men from the east show up and ask King Herod, where is the king of the Jews? Where has the Messiah been born? And so King Herod asks his advisors, and they were able to explain that, yes, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem because of the prophecies given the Old Testament prophets, this was a prophetic sign that the Messiah would be born in the city of David. It was one of the prophetic signs that was given. So when they saw that, it was in hopes that God would allow them to see that this was important and that what came next was important. So to prepare them that this was indeed the Messiah. Now, we see another illustration of a prophetic sign with the Pharisees interacting with Jesus. You remember, they asked Jesus, they said, just give us a sign, a miraculous sign, or some translations will say a prophetic sign, and we will believe in you then. And Jesus said, you're such an evil generation, always wanting a sign. This is the only sign I will give you. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three and a half days, I will be in the earth for three days and will rise again. So that is a sign that Jesus gave the Pharisees, a prophetic sign. So when we're in the book of Revelation, we'll be talking about general prophecies, which by nature are going to be a little vague. And the reason for that is that God doesn't want us to know everything about the future. Otherwise, it would be too much of a temptation for us to to manipulate things in our life. For instance, if we knew exactly when Jesus was going to come back, we might try and corner the stock market, or we might take advantage of this knowledge and hurt other people. It would be too great of a temptation not to take advantage of this knowledge to further our own goals. So a lot of the prophecies are vague by God's design, but there are some prophecies There are prophetic signs. And Revelation has some very important prophetic signs that are important for the church in America to see today because it is important to prepare for what these signs are warning us about in the future. Now, the second thing I want us to talk about, we've talked about the details, but the second thing I want us to talk about is how you should hedge your bets when you study prophecy. Now, what do I mean by hedge your bets? In other words, don't put all your eggs in your interpretation, your basket of interpretation when it comes to prophecy. Let me give you an illustration. For instance, we will be teaching the different points of view of the book of Revelation. Some people will think that Jesus will return to get his people, what is commonly called the rapture, before a seven-year time, seven-year period of time where God judges the earth. 
Some people think that Jesus won't return for his people until the midpoint of these seven years. Some people think Jesus won't return until after the seven years of this judgment on the earth that God's wrath is poured out on. Others think the whole thing is a metaphor for the Christian existence and the kingdom is already here. So there's all kinds of different points of view, and we will study each one of them, and I will try and show you what I think Scripture says is the best logical one to believe in, what scriptural evidence best supports. But even though I may give you uh, evidence that goes along with your interpretation, we should hedge our bets. For instance, if I say the evidence shows that Paul taught and that, that Jesus would come back before the seven-year period, and I say that, yes, Jesus will come back before the seven-year period, and here's all the evidence— you may well want to believe that and say, yes, that sounds right. That makes logical sense. But if we do that, let's make sure we hedge our bets. For instance, if we believe that Jesus is going to come back before the seven-year period of time, but then something bad happens that's mentioned in that seven years in the book of Revelation. In other words, a mark of a beast comes up and says, you must take this mark on your hand or forehead. The book of Revelation talks about that and says that anybody without this mark can't buy or sell anything. And the Bible goes on to say that anybody who takes the mark of the beast will sell their soul basically to devil, to the devil. That's basically what it says when you read it. Uh, it doesn't use those exact words, but that's what it means. But it basically says if you take that mark of the beast, you're turning your back on God forever and you'll be making yourself a destiny of hell for your future that everyone who takes the mark of the beast will be cast into hell. So I may believe that Jesus is going to come back and get his believers before all that happens, but I'm going to hedge my bets when it comes to this prophecy. You'll never see me take a mark on my hand or forehead because I'm going to hedge my bets because I may not know for sure what this prophecy is saying. We'll go for it. We'll go with what the best biblical evidence is, but you got to remember that all prophecy is veiled. And so we need to hedge our bets. Now, what do I mean by prophecy is being veiled? Well, think of a school play. You remember how sometimes you may have been in a school play, and the auditorium in our school was in the lunchroom, and the, you know, the stage is about five to six feet higher than the audience is sitting at. And imagine you're watching a play of maybe some kids or maybe your own kids in the play, and the curtain comes up and it gets stuck. All you can see is their feet. But the show must go on, so they're going to keep doing the prophet, the, the uh, play, and they're going to keep acting it out. Now, it's going to be very hard to understand what's going on. But let's say they get a little bit of the curtain fixed, and they're able to raise it up maybe waist high. Well, then you're going to see more, and you'll be able to understand a little bit more what's going on, but it's still going to be confusing. But let's say they get it, and they get it fixed, and the curtain goes up almost all the way, just cuts off all the actors, right at the neck level, where you can see everything except for their facial expressions. Well, that's still not allowing you to see the whole play, but it allows you to see enough of it that you can pretty well guess what's going on and understand what's happening. Well, that's the way it is with prophecy. God keeps it veiled. But the generation, the people who are alive, as they get closer and closer to this prophecy, that veil is lifted up higher and higher. Until the generation that's alive, when those prophecies are fulfilled, that veil is almost totally up. And they are allowed by the grace of God to see these signs and understand what's going on. 
So we don't know where we are in human history. We don't know if Jesus is going to come back tonight. I hope he does. Or a thousand years from now. We can only go by the prophecies. So we're going to hedge our bets. We're going to look for what's best in Scripture, go with the best scriptural evidence, and we're going to formulate our uh, theories of what's going to happen. But we're going to hedge our bets. We're never going to count on it to the point that we risk our soul by taking the mark of the beast. And that's what we have to do with prophecy. Okay, we know that as we get closer to it, the veil, the curtain will be lifted more and more, and we'll understand more and more. But we still don't need to be dogmatic about it. We need to walk in faith, not by sight. Walk in faith with Christ, and we certainly want to don't want to be so dramatic about it that we make fun of someone else who believes differently. No. So we're going to trust God. We're going to look for these signs. We're going to go with the biblical evidence. But we're never going to put ourselves in a position that our interpretation is above someone else's or that we risk our eternal soul doing something just because we think we've got it all figured out in our viewpoints of the end times. So let's review real quick. We've learned about the details. So there's two types of prophecies. General prophecies, which tend to be a little vague to protect ourselves from ourselves, and prophetic signs, which are very specific so that God uses to warn us or prepare us for what's happening next. We've also learned that we need to hedge our best, to have a proper attitude to our brothers and Christian, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and make sure we don't lord our viewpoint over theirs. And also not to be so cocky about our viewpoint that we do stupid things. Now, the third thing I want to learn in this passage is that Christ's return is the great hope for the church. Christ's return is the great hope for the church. Now, not just a minor hope, not just a little hope, not just an incidental hope. Christ's return is the hope for the church. Let's read again in verse 28. In verse 28, it says this, So when all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up, for your salvation is near. Now, you got to understand what he's saying here. Christ is trying to bring out the issue that this is the best thing you could possibly want, is for him to return. That when you see these signs occurring, when you see them happening, that you don't need to despair you need to stand up straight and tall. You need to look to the sky and say, He is near. Can He be coming today? Because that is your hope. Because when He comes back, everything about our salvation is complete. We get to go to Him and be with Him forever. And everything He promised us is brought into being, into reality for us. And that is our great hope. That's what spurs us on. Now, this is the issue that I want to talk about with this great hope. It's sad that most Christians today don't know anything about Christ's return. Back in the 70s, there was a lot of teaching of this. And on up into the middle part of the 80s, really, a lot of people studied Scripture and studied prophecy. And it was just wonderful talking to other Christians, brothers and sisters, and discussing, could it be this? Could it be that? And it's spurred you on and encouraged you and got you excited to see if maybe he could come back tonight. It's what I like to call the uh, nacho and salsa, uh, the chips and salsa discussions of life. 
You see, I don't know for sure what's going to happen. You don't know for sure what's going to happen. It's a prophetic, a prophecy that's still veiled. The prophetic veil is on it. But I'm telling you, if you sit late up in a restaurant one night or at home and snacking and talking to your friends, sometimes I'd go on with my friends for three, four hours, way past midnight, and we'd be so excited sharing what we were learning about Christ's return. And it encouraged us and gave us hope. And that's a good thing. But you know something? During the mid-80s, we started focusing on different things. We started focusing on trying to control politics. We started focusing on growing huge churches. And I even heard a pastor once tell me, oh, he would never study the book of Revelation because it's so controversial. And he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings and drive them away from the church. He wants more and more people to come to this church so they can have more and more money to do the things they're doing. Well, that's the wrong attitude. And I want to tell you something. We should talk about the book of Revelation. We should teach these things. In fact, the book of Revelation says, blessed is everyone who reads this book to the church. So the return of Christ is something we need to talk about more and more, especially in such dark days as these. We need to study it. We need to discuss it. We need to have those chips and salsa conversations where we encourage each other. And we need to get excited that Jesus might come back today or tomorrow or next week. And we need to let that drive home in our hearts and encourage us and give us hope, especially in these dark days. You know, one reason that a lot of people quit talking about it is because we got so dogmatic. That's why I said earlier we need to hedge our bets and have the right attitude towards brothers and sisters that maybe believe differently. But we've all seen people get in a big fight arguing about which viewpoint is right, which way is it going to happen, and my right, my viewpoint is right. He's going to come before the seven-year period. Oh, no, he's going to come in the middle of the seven-year period, and we get at each other's throats. I want to tell you something. Satan laughs all the way to the bank when that happens. When Christians don't talk about Christ's return, or even worse, when Christians talk about Christ's return and then argue with each other and break up the unity of Christians, Satan laughs all the way to the bank because we are destroying the purpose of these prophecies. The purpose is not for us to know everything. Jesus didn't give them all the details where they knew exactly what was going to happen. No. The purpose of it is for us to think about it, meditate on it, and get hope from it. I asked you earlier, are you depressed? Are you fearful? Are you losing hope? If so, then you need to make sure you don't miss a session of this study on the book of Revelation. Dreams or nightmares, a study on the end of the age, because we're going to look at it all and we're going to discuss it. And when we do, we're going to get excited and it's going to encourage you. And just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 28, so when all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up for your salvation is near. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to start learning these things and get excited and have hope. Don't let the world get you down. Have hope because Christ is coming for you and me and for all his Christians one day. Everyone who believes in him, he is coming for us one day. And I hope and pray is soon, don't you? Now, I hope you'll join us for every session of this study. 
the study on the end of the age, Dreams or Nightmares, a study on the book of Revelation. And I also hope that you will uh, do a couple of things for me. Subscribe to my channel if you haven't already, and make sure you give the thumbs up button. This will help other people see these videos on the YouTube queue. Also, feel free to post any of these videos on post the links on your Facebook or other social media, and let's get the word out there. Be sure if you have any questions to write them in the comments, and I'll do my best to answer them. I love you, brothers and sisters, and I hope you'll enjoy this study as much as I do. And in the meantime, until we see each other again, please, please read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.